You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, let me know. Bubbles there. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's denying Call me Mr. Boy's best friend is his mother. You have no style. You can bark all day, little dog. Everyone! Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. I'm seeing my first comedy show since the pandemic started tonight, so I'm very excited. Netflix is throwing a comedy festival in Los Angeles right now, and I am taking this opportunity to see all the British comedians that never tour in the States. The only downside is I have to go to downtown LA to see all of them, but I'm trying to focus on the getting to see my favorite comedians thing above all else. But if you've ever tried to park in downtown, you know it's it's a struggle. No movies this week. I was just crazy busy and frankly, not crazy about anything that's out right now. I refuse to see the Fantastic Beast movie in theaters because the second one just no. So, you know, next week there's a big release that I'm very excited for. So there'll definitely be some next week. But yeah. Anyway. This month, we're covering four unsolved Hollywood mysteries that to this day, people still scratch their heads over. This week, Thelma Todd, a young Hollywood starlet whose journey on this mortal coil came to an abrupt end in the garage of her married lover. Did she end her own life? Was she a victim of a drunken mishap? Or did someone kill her? With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. It was a cold night in December 1935. Thelma Todd, a major starlet of the era, was slumped over in the front seat of her 1934 Lincoln convertible. She was dressed in a mauve and silver evening gown, a mink wrap, and some jewels. She had just gotten back from a party that was held in her honor that had raged into the early hours of the morning at the renowned Trocadero nightclub on Sunset Boulevard. But this young starlet wasn't sleeping one off in the driver's seat. No. Thelma Todd was dead. Born Thelma Alice Todd on July 29, 1906, the actress whom would be referred to as Hot Toddy or the Ice Cream Blonde throughout her career, began her life as a bright young student in Lawrence, Massachusetts. A life in the pictures wasn't the end game for Thelma in those early years, though she did have a love for them. Upon graduating from high school, Thelma started college to become a school teacher. During that time, at her mother's insistence, some say because she forced her, Thelma entered and earned money winning beauty pageants and even took home the crown of Miss Massachusetts in 1925. This gained the attention of Hollywood talent scouts. 
Not long after, Thelma earned a spot at the Paramount Players School in Astoria, New York. This was during the time that Paramount Studios, then Paramount Famous Players, was taking promising young talent and giving them lessons in acting, diction, sports, and etiquette in the hopes of turning them into the movie stars of tomorrow. In the school's lookbook that year, Thelma was touted for having the longest hair of her female classmates. Of her 16 classmates, only Thelma and Charles Buddy Rogers would ever make it to Hollywood. After her one-year contract with Paramount expired without really making a splash, Thelma bounced around from studio to studio until she found a home in Hal Roach Studios in 1929. Hal Roach Studios were known for their comedy films, notably Laurel and Hardy. Thelma would often appear in films with the duo. She'd be loaned out often as well to other studios, as was typical of that time, which allowed her to get the chance to act alongside the Marx Brothers, Buster Keaton, and Spencer Tracy. Over the next six years, the highly educated young woman was able to go toe-to-toe with many of her on-screen partners and gained a reputation as being a blonde with an edge. She was once quoted saying, quote, Building on beauty seems to be the worst thing a girl can do. She also got the ultra-rare chance to lead a series of comedy shorts, which Hal Roach marketed as the female Laurel and Hardy, with Zazu Pitts and then Patsy Kelly when Pitts left. These 38 shorts would pave the way for female comedians as solo artists and leads, not just sidekicks to the men. Thelma also did a few drama films, which was rare at the time for an actor to be allowed to do both. And this included a part in 1931's The Maltese Falcon. Altogether, the actress would appear in 120 feature films and shorts, becoming one of the most famous actresses of the day. In addition to acting, in 1934, Thelma opened a restaurant with business partners Jewel Carmen and Roland West, whom were married. They named their new business Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. Roland provided the money, the restaurant was owned by Jewel, and Thelma would be the face. The ground floor was a restaurant, and on the second story was their private nightclub named Joya's, after Jewel, which played host to Hollywood's Rich and Famous, as well as two adjoining Ocean View apartments for the three owners. Only a sliding wooden door separated the two suites. 500 yards away, up a series of 270 steps, was a stately mansion owned by Roland and Jewel, where Jewel spent most of her time. Roland preferred the apartment above the cafe. If that sounds kind of sketch, it's because it was. Thelma and Roland had been carrying on a casual affair for a while after meeting on a yacht trip to Catalina Island in 1930. While the affair thing ain't great, she had a lot of other shit going on too. For example, her boss and head of her studio, Hal Roach, abused her and also instigated into Thelma's contract something which he called the potato clause. Thelma had a little bit of a weight problem in his eyes, and it was put in her contract that if she gained more than three pounds or lost more than six, she could be fired. She also refused to, quote unquote, entertain producers at the Hollywood parties. You all know what that means. And as a result, ran the risk of actually just being full on blacklisted from Hollywood. In fact, she was very outspoken on the topic of the casting couch, which was way more standard, I think, than has ever really been made public at that time. But don't think because she took a moral stance on this front that she was sitting at home knitting or reading a book. Thelma was a bona fide party girl. Her signature drink, Three Fingers of Rye. 
Her mother, whom, like I said, had kind of not so subtly forced her into those beauty pageants and by extension becoming an actress, started her on diet pills or amphetamines and Thelma soon became addicted to them. She also married agent producer, quote unquote, Pat DeSico, whom was known as the glamour boy of Hollywood in 1932. The couple had a highly tumultuous marriage and frequently had drunken brawls. One of the bigger ones resulted in a broken nose for DeSico and an emergency appendectomy for Thelma. The couple divorced in 1934, with Thelma citing grievous mental and physical suffering as the reason. After her divorce, it is rumored that she dated mobster Lucky Luciano. Luciano allegedly wanted control of her restaurant, specifically the third floor, which was mostly unused, where he planned to set up an illegal gambling operation. Luciano planned to attract the powerful studio executives there, where they would accrue huge gambling debts. With all of these very, you know, high up men at Luciano's mercy, he would move in and take over the studios and therefore Hollywood. Despite Luciano's alleged frequent abuse, if it's true at all, Thelma stuck to her guns and never allowed this to go through. Again, let me stress, this is a rumor and the only actual quote-unquote evidence ever provided that this was a thing was given to author Frank Sinello during his research for his 1989 book Hot Toddy by an anonymous source. Snello claims his source was once a Hollywood exec, and the interview took place over 50 years after Thelma's death. His book also became the source for a television movie that was released in the 90s. I have not seen it, though I did not look for it, but based on this, doubting it's the most factual thing in the world. So anything with the Lucky Luciano stuff that you hear, it even says on Wikipedia that it's a fact. It is not necessarily a fact. It is a Big fat rumor. So anything you hear about Thelma Todd and that stuff, big grain of salt. So yeah, Thelma didn't exactly have a squeaky clean image. She mostly was around during the pre-code era where you kind of got away with that a little bit more. But you know, life's complicated. But knowing all this, is it possible that someone in Thelma's wild life could have been responsible for her death? So here's what we know definitively happened. On the night of December 14th, 1935, Thelma had gone to the Trocadero to attend a party in her honor being thrown by British actor Stanley Lupino, who was the father of one of Thelma's close friends, Ida Lupino. Along with the Lupinos, other guests that night included theater mogul Sid Grauman. That night, despite having sworn off liquor to lose weight, Thelma reportedly was seen sipping brandy and champagne. At 1.50 a.m., Thelma had Grauman call Roland back at the cafe to inform him that she'd be home soon. The party raged into the early hours of December 15th, with Thelma leaving the Trocadero around 3 a.m. in a car driven by her chauffeur. She was dropped off around 3.45, 4 a.m. by the chauffeur's estimation. That's what we know definitely happened that night. Later that day, still December 15th, friends she had invited to come for dinner the night before at the party arrived at the cafe to collect their free meal that Thelma had promised them. Thelma was not there, but their meals were comped all the same. The morning of December 16th, Thelma's maid, Mae Whitehead, entered the garage to take Roland's car down to him at the bottom of the hill. Instead, Whitehead discovered Thelma slumped over in her car a full day after she had returned home. Her skin was crimson, a clear sign of carbon monoxide poisoning. 
At just 29 years old, Thelma Todd's life had come to an untimely end. The media frenzy throughout this time over this case was fervent, with some later comparing the obsession of the case to that of Marilyn Monroe or Sharon Tate. Attempting to piece together the events of the evening, police theorized that after the chauffeur left, Thelma discovered that the door to the cafe was locked, so she walked up the long flight of steps to Roland and Jules' house. Authorities then assumed that Thelma went into the garage, climbed into her car, which she kept in their garage, and turned on the ignition to warm herself up after traversing the hill on a chilly December night. From there, the carbon monoxide filled the garage and slowly suffocated Thelma. The coroner would later discover coagulated blood found around her face, on her dress, and inside the car, which was determined to have been caused from when her head hit the steering wheel, likely when she lost consciousness. Initial findings led the detectives to conclude that Thelma's death was accidental, the result of carbon monoxide poisoning from either warming up the car to drive somewhere or for using the heater to keep herself warm. The autopsy surgeon testified that there were, quote, no marks of violence anywhere upon or within the body with only a, quote, superficial contusion on the lower lip. She may have also been drunk at the time of her death, which could have also been a contributing factor. There are other informal accounts of greater signs of injury, including that she had two broken ribs and trauma to her throat at the time of her death, but none of this is on the official report. An initial probe into the case ruled that the death appeared accidental, but it was recommended that, quote, further investigation to be made into the case by proper authorities. A grand jury case then commenced. You see, this wasn't as cut and dry as it kind of sounds. There were a number of factors which made Thelma's death super sus. Some argue that the actress would have never even made that trek. Thelma had recently been diagnosed with a heart condition and therefore very unlikely that she would have done that level of cardio up all those steps lest she put too much strain on her ticker. Critics of the police version of events further argue that Thelma was a smart, college-educated woman who was actually savvy with cars and therefore would have been all too aware of the dangers of carbon monoxide. Also, there was a media campaign going around at this time that she would have likely been familiar with, warning the public of the dangers of carbon monoxide poisoning, specifically for motor vehicles. Now, to interject here for a sec, she was drunk, and let's be honest, we rarely make smart choices hammered. The problem I have with this version is that if she just climbed up a damn hill, would she be all that cold? And at no point she wasn't yelling for anybody or be like, hey, let me in. Like, that's weird to me. And the other problem with the police version of events is that her shoes showed no evidence of making the trek up to the house, which was incredibly uneven, the ground was damp, and also her hair was still perfectly placed when she was found. So I'm kind of on the side of the naysayers for once for this one. During the autopsy, the coroner had also found peas and carrots in her stomach that were just beginning to digest, meaning she had eaten them shortly before she died, and neither of these items had been served at the party that night. Did this mean she was picked up by someone else before being entombed in the garage? If so, by whom? Further, staff in the restaurant claimed that she had been beaten by an unnamed man after a heated argument at the cafe in the days before her death. Waiters reportedly interfered and had to pry the man away from her. Then, when Thelma was found, the car was not running, but the vehicle had gas in it, which is also pretty damn suspicious. Even more suspicious was, in her handbag, was the key to her apartment. You know, the one she was supposedly locked out of. 
In conspiracy theory land, several testified that she couldn't have died when the coroner said she had because they had either seen or spoken with her after that estimated time of death. Jewel, Roland's wife, testified before the grand jury that she had seen Thelma riding in a phaeton, which is like one of those old cars, the open ones that kind of look like an open carriage without horses, on Hollywood Boulevard around 11 a.m. on December 15th with a strange man. Problem with that, this was about four hours after police estimated that she had likely died. Another friend claimed to have talked to her on the phone on December 15th during the day about a party she was throwing that evening. She claimed that Thelma informed her that she would be coming and bringing a special guest. She also told the friend that she was still wearing the fancy clothes she'd worn from a party the night before and if it was okay if she wore them to the party. Now, they could have been remembering the days wrong. Yes, the memory is not always reliable. Or, you know, in the case of these two women, one could be trying to establish an alibi. The other one could just be ball face lying. People like to feel like they're close to weird tragedies like this. It's like a super morbid, very well-established thing. So considering all of this, maybe not the last stuff, but the stuff before that, let's be honest. Thelma Todd was very likely probably murdered. So in that case, who could have done it? And why? First, the most obvious and anywhere death case, the husband, or in this case, the ex-husband, Pat DeSico. DeSico had extensive underworld connections and he had felt humiliated by the divorce. Could he have sought revenge? The two had seen each other that night and had reportedly argued. At her own party, her ex was seated at her table, or he was supposed to be. When he showed up with another date and sat at another table, Thelma was furious. Ida Lupino, who had arranged the party with her father, later said DeSico had asked to be invited and also to be seated next to his ex-wife. He explained that he was joking when he said it because Thelma despised him. He was also an associate of Lucky Luciano. Was DeSico's presence at the party some kind of morbid alibi? He was certainly violent enough and messed in the head enough. When DeSico was called in front of the grand jury over Thelma's death, he claimed he didn't even know about her death until he was summoned. Unless he unplugged his phone, canceled the newspaper, and lived under a rock, this is highly unlikely. Also, in her will, which hadn't been updated since they had been married, Thelma had left her ex-husband one dollar. And what about Lucky Luciano? He had a reputation for being a textbook piece of shit. Is it possible he went out for revenge after Thelma allegedly barred him from setting up an illegal gambling den? He was in Los Angeles at the time of her death and was one of the most popular suspects in the days following her demise. In the months leading up to her death, Thelma was receiving strange letters in the mail, which were threatening her to pay 10 grand or die. The letters were signed by the alias Ace of Hearts. A suspect had been arrested for this four months before she died, and the letters stopped immediately afterward. Despite this, Thelma was convinced the mob was involved. Some believe that an associate of Luciano picked Thelma up at the restaurant, took her out to eat, killed her, then stashed her in the garage. Shortly after her death, Luciano left the City of Angels, never to return. The problem with this theory is that most of her dealings with Luciano are speculation and not hardcore facts. Without those, the case for Luciano kind of falls apart. Some sources claim that Luciano and Thelma never even met. So this one, big fat gray area. I personally think they probably ran into each other once or twice as Luciano knew Thelma's ex-husband. For the rest of it, I'm highly doubtful. Thelma had told friends that she had a new beau, a man from San Francisco. This stranger was never identified. 
So, given Thelma's inexplicable gravitational attraction to dangerous men, could he have killed her and slipped off into the night? Possible, and we have no way of knowing. Next suspect, Roland West. The two were hooking up casually, and he was apparently resentful of the other affairs Thelma was having. If he got wind of this new San Francisco man, would the hypocritically vindictive dude do something rash? Roland was originally a film director, but his career had stalled and he hadn't directed a picture since 1931. He and Thelma had reportedly opened the restaurant as a way to see each other more often. And despite the fact that the restaurant was a smash with the Hollywood elite and tourists alike, in reality, the restaurant was hemorrhaging money. Some sources say that Roland told Thelma the reason the restaurant was failing was because they were being pressured to buy from mob-controlled suppliers who majorly jacked up their prices. Before Thelma departed for her Saturday night party, Roland had told her that he was planning on locking everything up at 2 a.m. and to make sure she returned by then. As promised, at 2 a.m. that morning, Roland locked the doors to the restaurant and went to bed at around 2.30 a.m. Some believe that the two argued when she returned home almost two hours late and he'd refused to let her in. This is unknown. This is also not the first time he'd locked her out and one time she had attempted to get his attention by busting a window. Could this night have been the final straw? On his deathbed, Roland admitted that he was responsible for Thelma's death and that he'd accidentally locked her in the garage. But the story he'd given was so full of inconsistencies that it was written off as the ramblings of a dying man. Speaking of Roland, what about his wife, Jewel? A jealous wife finally fed up with her husband? Well, probably not. She reportedly didn't care about her husband's dalliances with their business partner, but when the restaurant started to lose money, she had actually threatened to kill Thelma for squandering the investment. Rumors flew that Jewel, or possibly Roland, had found Thelma in the garage with the car on, but with the door open to ensure ventilation. Seeing an easy way to get rid of their inept business partner, one of them could have slammed the door shut, trapping Thelma inside with the noxious fumes. It does raise the question also, since both cars were parked in the same garage, how did they not discover her until a full day later? Also, I'm imagining that car gave off a smell. Like, how do you notice the smell? It's, there's, there's a lot of... Sketchy stuff happened around these two. But despite this potential motive on either of their parts, no physical evidence could ever be tied to Jewel or Roland. Left field one, Thelma's own mother, Alice, whom had reportedly told friends before her daughter's death that she was planning on building a big mansion soon. But where did she plan on getting that money? When police were investigating her daughter's death, she was quick to label the whole thing an accident. She chalked up the entire investigation as, quote, cheap politicians trying to get jobs. And if it wasn't a murder, the last suspect is Thelma herself. Some suggested that she was severely depressed over her struggling restaurant and took her own life as a result. The chauffeur that night claimed that she had been quieter than usual and didn't ask him to escort her to the door as was their normal routine. There were also rumors that she had received an upsetting message that day as well. Like I said earlier, Thelma knew what a car emitting carbon dioxide within an enclosed space could do to a person, so perhaps she chose this as a means to end her life. Her friends and loved ones strongly refuted this idea, describing her as the happiest she'd ever been. She also showed no signs of depressive or suicidal tendencies at this time. 
despite the money troubles with the restaurant. She just signed a new film contract, and the trunk of her car was chock full of Christmas presents. Not the traditional actions of someone who was suicidal, though, you know, there's always outliers. Further, investigators found no motive for suicide, and Thelma had left no note. That doesn't mean she didn't do it, but it definitely throws a wrench in this theory. In the end... After four weeks of testimony, the grand jury inquiry concluded that there was no evidence of foul play. The case was closed by the Homicide Bureau, which declared the death, quote, accidental with possible suicide tendencies. No arrests were ever made. Before she had died, Thelma had completed all of her scenes for the Laurel and Hardy film The Bohemian Girl, but Roach had her scenes reshot, fearing negative publicity. He deleted all of Thelma's dialogue and limited her appearance in the film to just one musical number. Thelma's body was cremated, and when her mother died in 1969, Thelma's remains returned to Lawrence, Massachusetts, as her ashes were placed in her mother's coffin. Today, the building that once held Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe still stands, as is the house and garage in which Thelma met her sudden end. It has become a part of Hollywood history, attracting visitors to its dark past to this day. Currently, the building that once held Thelma's Sidewalk Cafe is a creative office space. So, was Thelma Todd murdered, or just the victim of a late-night, drunken, fatal error? We will likely never know. Just another unfinished story from the echelons of Tinseltown. And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media, where I also post photos for each episode, at Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at TinselFactoryPod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. Spotify just added ratings on just on the phone app, so if you could give me a quick five stars, I would very much appreciate it. In order to keep making the podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help out in any way, I would very much appreciate it. I've also got merch. Check that out at the link in the show notes. Next week, we're covering the tragic death of Natalie Wood. Was she out on a late night excursion or was she the victim of something more sinister? Thanks again for listening. And until next time, that's a wrap. (laughs) 